chapter 1. And I entitled the message, Teach Me Your Ways. Uh, The reason why is because God's ways are higher than ours. So we'll take a look at the book of James, chapter 1. And before we do, let's pray for uh, a few people. Father, we love you and we do pray for uh, Pete Gonzalez Jr., Father, as he um, is getting that transplant done, Lord, that you would uh, continue to just have your hand upon him, his dad. Pray for Mike Reeder, Lord, as he is uh, preparing and has to stay well for um, the procedure he's going to have in February, Lord. Just continue to have your hand upon him, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for what you're doing in Victor's life as well, Lord, that you administer to him. Father, That uh, thank you that the uh, he's feeling better, Lord. He's sore from his surgery, Lord. But, uh, Father, we just pray for him to recover, Lord, and that you continue to do your work of your spirit in his life, Lord. And those who are, are not feeling well, Pastor Joe and Kathy, Lord, I thank you that I talked to them. Uh, they're doing better, Lord, and, and, Father, they're ready to come back, Lord. So continue to just have your hand upon them. And all our family members and those who are going through a hard time and those who are sick uh, in the body and in our immediate families, Lord. We pray, Lord, you have your hand upon them, Lord. Be their peace, be their sufficiency, Lord, and we give them to you. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. Again, if I, like I mentioned, if you have a Bible, please turn to James chapter 1. I entitled the message, Teach Me Your Ways. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So this letter was written by James, and James was the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. You see, Mary had other children, and James here is one of those other children. He's uh, considered the eldest right after Jesus was born. Uh, James was born to Mary and Joseph. This letter was written by him. But notice his title in ministry. He calls himself a bondservant. A bondservant. In Matthew chapter... And and that's... A bondservant is very important in leadership. Because we see James. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You know, but his title here was bondservant. We don't see this nowadays in ministry. A lot of people are seeking glory or attention in the ministry. They're, They're seeking positions. Jesus said in Matthew chapter uh, 23, verses, 20, uh, verses 5 through 7, Jesus said those who are seeking attention and glory in their service, he says they do their service or they join the ministry to be seen by men. They like to walk around on, on, with nice clothes and, uh, and large garments, and they serve in ministry to kind of be a spectacle or a focal point in ministry. But Jesus goes on to say that those who desire sometimes to be in ministry love the best places at the feast. Or, you know, they love the greetings in the marketplace. Oh, pastor or reverend or teacher or rabbi. You know, that's kind of the uh, a place where a lot of people have a misconception of ministry. Ministry is not easy. It's not glamorous. It can be if you're in the for the wrong motives, 
But James chapter 3, verses 1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing you will receive a stricter judgment. And a lot of times people get into ministry for the glory of things. And Jeremiah 45, verse 5 says, Are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it. So there's a lot of scripture that uh, tells us that in when we serve the Lord, we shouldn't try to self-promote ourselves in ministry. Psalms chapter 75, verse 6 says, For promotion neither comes from the east nor the west, nor from the north or the south, but it comes from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 35 says, The wise shall inherit glory, but the shame shall be the prom- promotion of fools. Like I mentioned before, James and Jude, the also the writer of the, bo- the little small book right before Revelations, is the other brother, the other half-brother of Jesus. But he himself and Jude never went name-dropping. They weren't self-promoting in their, their position in the church. Here they both call themselves bondservants. We're bondservants of, of the Lord. And a bondservant is that word doulos in the Greek. And they were saying they're bond slaves. A bond slave is one who gives himself up for the other's will. And that's the Lord's will, not their will. Those in service uh, are called to be used for Christ for extending and advancing the Lord's cause among men. So a doulos is described as one who is devoted to another to the disregard of his own interest. In other words, they put God first. So a bondservant is just the Lord's attendant. They're just at his beckoning and they're available for his use and his glory. You see, in ministry, we should never focus the light on self in ministry. But God should be the glory and God should get the praise. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 43, the, Jesus said, Whoever desires to be great among you, let him become your servant. So James puts his life under the authority here. As he said, he's a bondservant of God. He's here to serve God and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're both one and the same, the triune Godhead. But his greeting here, it says to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, This was addressed to Jewish believers at this time who were scattered because of persecution. And persecution comes. Although it is addressed to the Jewish believers, it isn't exclusive to where we cannot glean uh, from the riches of this amazing letter. There's so much to learn here in this chapter for the church. We see persecution in chapter 8, verse 1 through Saul. Saul was persecuting, and it says they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and, and, and Samaria. Acts chapter 11, verse 19, they were scattered again to uh, Lebanon and Cyprus and into Antioch and even into Turkey at that time. Acts 13, verse 50, it says the Jews stirred up devout women and honorable women and the chief men of the city. And they raised a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them to the coastlands. So both Jesus and Paul warned the church that persecution would become to Christians. 
We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul says, yes, and all that desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Will suffer. It's just a matter of time that we're, we will be persecuted. And we see this on the rise. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you. Jesus forewarned us that in me you may have peace. But in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, you're going to suffer persecution, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we have to depend upon the Lord. But John goes on. James goes on to say here in verse two through four, my brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So here he addresses the church as my brethren. You see, we're family here. We're family. And we will go through trials. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says that we, the church, should bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As I mentioned on Sunday, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to encourage one another, to comfort one another, exhort one another. Why? Because we're going to go through various trials. And here, James stresses uh, you're going to go through various trials as a Christian. But he says, count it all joy. An occasion to know that you're not alone. You're not alone in your trial. And to trust God who is in control. A lot of times trials hit and we lose control. We we panic. But we got to understand that God is still in control when the world looks like it's out of control. And he says here, here, these things are a testing of your faith. These trials come not to destroy you, but to benefit us. Trials are in your life not to destroy you, but that you would benefit from them. That's what the Bible teaches. Trials are to bring the best out of us as Christians. And a lot of times when we go into trials, we, you know, we go to our friends, we go to our loved ones, and we're asking for prayer, and we're, we're, we're striving with difficulties, but we really need to depend on God. Our trials should bring us closer to God and depending upon His Spirit to where we trust Him regardless of what we're seeing. You see, Abraham had a trial, and his Trial brought about a great faith in what God has promised. He clinged to God's word. We see this in Genesis chapter 2 and in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17. You see, our trials test our faith. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 through 3 says, As the Lord was speaking to the children of Israel, He says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Trials are to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. So trials are sometimes to humble us, to bring us back to a place where we need to be. They're to test our hearts. Not that. God knows our heart, but that we would know what's in our heart, that we trust the Lord. 
And his command, the trials are to whether we will trust him and keep his ways or not. And he so he says, so I humbled you and I allowed you to hunger and I fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your father's. That he might make known to you that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that you can trust him. Trials are in your life so that you could trust and depend on the Lord. I remember one, you know, I used to ride my motorcycle to church. I mean, not to church, to work at five in the morning. Uh, and I used to work in Hoth, the city of Hawthorne. And, the, you know, the city of Hawthorne is near the coast. And um, I just got hired at that particular Costco. And I was driving down the 605 freeway. And I jumped on the 105. And I'm driving on the 105. And then all of a sudden, man, it was so thick with fog. I was, I was super, super scared. I couldn't see. I couldn't see. 10 feet in front of me. That's all, I was scared. Here I'm on my motorcycle at about 5 in the morning. Man, I was white knuckle. I was so super scared. And at that time, I, I prayed, Lord, Lord, help me. You know, I'm, I'm scared. Because if I pull over, if I stop, I could get hit from behind. I'm in, I'm in the carpool lane. I could get hit. And if I go to the left or the right, I, you know, I, I'm very vulnerable. And I was praying, Lord, you know, I, I, I know you parted the seas and I, I know you could part this fog. And, and no, no sooner than I prayed that the fog just on one side of the freeway. And I was like, oh, man, my, my man, I was so relieved. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Wow. And I and I had this. This peace came over me. And, you know, God got me through. I got, I got there. And then probably about a month later, the same thing happened. And here, man, I'm all scared again. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm praying, I'm praying. And, you know, white knuckling. And I, and I pray, Lord, if I know you did it before. And I know you could do it again. But you know what? This time, it didn't, it didn't move. You know, the fog didn't move. But you know what? A peace fell over me. A peace from the Lord that, man, he's got me. You know, I could trust him. You know, so I was going to use proceed with caution, but I could trust the Lord that, that he was in control. And so our trials, it says, produces patience, a work in your character. You know, God's going to use trials to do a work of your spirit. You know, and that caused my faith to grow in the Lord. Knowing that he's in control of the weather, he could, he could get me from point A. You know, I'm not going to, you know, just go crazy on my motorcycle through the fog. I'm going to use caution, but I know the Lord is with me. So the trial produced a confidence in the Lord. So when we go through trials, don't resist or try to manipulate yourself out of a trial. Pray through it. See what God does. It says trials produce a perfect work, it says. And that work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, the word perfect here speaks of an inward work in you. Uh, and it, the work, that word perfect is speaking about maturity. You're going to go through the trial, but it's going to cause you to mature. 
Because a lot of times many Christians could be Christians for years and still have a immature attitude and an immature growth. There's no growth in their life because they're not in the word and prayer and fellowship. They're not applying the word. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. The writer said to the, to the idle and stagnant leaders at this time. You see, because whatever is poured in should be poured out. So there should be a work of his spirit. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. For, for uh Through this, by now, he's speaking to the church, by now you ought to become teachers, but you still need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food uh, belongs to those who are of a full age, that is, by those who who by reason of use have their senses exercised both to discern both good and evil. So the trials in your life will cause you to grow. But here Hebrews tells us by this you, time you ought to become teachers. In other words, there should be a growth in your life. You shouldn't be the same Christian you were 10 years ago or 5 years ago. There should be a continual growing in your life. And a lot of times we avoid trials and don't go through these things where God can change our character. So when we're in a trial, we need to say, Lord, change me. Have your way in my heart and cause me to grow in character and spiritual maturity. Let your trial have a perfect work in me. And a lot of times we go through the same trials over and over. We need to say, Lord, okay. In a trial. I need your help. I got a lot on my plate. And here in verse 5 through 8. I, I even myself. Uh, when I have a trial. Or I have a lot on my plate. Because a lot of times we will. We will go through difficulties. But 5 through 8. Here it says. If any of you lacks wisdom. Let him ask from God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. For let not a man uh, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. So here, you know, we're going through trials. We, We need to ask for wisdom. I need to ask for wisdom. I go to prayer. Let him ask of God, he says. You know, are we asking for God's wisdom and guidance? A lot of times we leave God out of situations, out of our plans and what we want to do. You know, maybe we'll pray, pray for our meals. Maybe we'll pray in the morning. But we need to pray for wisdom and guidance from the Lord. But here it says God gives liberally. And without approach. That word liberally means bountifully, abundantly. But we have not because we ask not. And here it says without reproach. In other words, God is not going to scold you for asking if you're asking for the right reason. It says let him ask in faith. You're going to ask in faith with no doubting. And he gives an example of doubting. 
He says here, you're like a wave driven by the sea, tossed by the wind. Or you're, you're kind of picketing or you're, you're, you're going back and forth. This shows instability. When we're not depending on the Lord or we're not asking for guidance or direction or wisdom from the Lord, this shows st- instability. Because God is sovereign. He knows all things. So I need to be in touch with the Lord who knows all things. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows the future. So I need to be in contact with the Lord to get instructions. And this shows stability when I'm with the Lord. The Lord is stable. It says, let not a man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, I'm going to ask the Lord. I'm going to ask in faith. But here, I need to diligently seek him. I need to call out to the Lord. I need to spend time with the Lord. Verse 9 through 11 says, Now let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with its burning heat, that it withers as the grass. It is, its flowers fall, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Now, we need to be careful of class envy. The rich and the poor. You know, it doesn't happen too much here, but we do see a separation gap happening here in this country from the rich and the poor. The rich are getting richer and the poor is getting poorer. Um, there, there seems to be a uh, shifting of the middle class. But we need to know that there should be no class envy. You know, you're going to have rich and you're going to have poor people. It said the poor glory in what God has done. God does a work in your life. But to the rich, not to trust in the abundance of your riches, because the rich tend to do that. But he says to glory in humiliation. The rich tend to be pampered or lifted up. James addresses this in the name, next chapter. In James chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, he says, When a rich person comes into assembly, a man with gold rings or fine apparel... And there should also come in a poor man with filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in the good place and you say here to the poor man, stand over there or sit at my footstool. That is not good. It says Romans chapter 12 and verse 16 says that we should have the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on the high things, but associate yourself with the humble. And do not be hum, uh, uh, wise in your own opinion. And, and so the, the rich uh, need to learn to say no and associate with the humble and to be giving. But here in verse 12 through 16, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. So from trials, depending on the Lord and letting the Lord work through you through trials. Now we come into the section where we have to deal with temptation. But here it says, blessed is the man who endures in temptation. Verse 12 through 16. For when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So here James pulls no punches about temptation. We all have temptations. We all have different temptations. So temptation is not a sin. How do we know this? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 it speaks of Jesus. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So you could be tempted without sin. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, and verse 1 through 11, he was led in the spirit and he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says he was hungry and the tempter came to him. and He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered, it is written. He goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then it says the devil took him up to a high place of the city, the holy city. And he set him on the temple of the city. And he said, all throw yourself down. And the enemy knows scripture. He quotes the scripture and he says, he will give his angels charge of you. In their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. And again, temptation comes again over and over three times to Jesus. Yet he did not sin. But the key thing he did was he said, it is written. The last one in verse 10 of Matthew chapter uh, 4, he says, You shall worship the Lord your God only and him you should serve. Jesus again was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. And it says, then the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him. But notice what Jesus does during temptation, because we're all tempted. We're all going to be tempted by something. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't dwell on the temptation. And that's the key. You're going to be tempted, but don't linger there. Don't linger there in thought in mind. Don't dwell on it. He He quotes scripture. He holds on to scripture. You know, we're to stay humble. James addresses this uh, kind of a spiritual attack in James chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. It says to stay humble, stay humble. And he says, God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know what? When I'm going through temptation, I'm praying, change me, Lord. Change me. Lord, I I, want to submit to you. Because, man, if I give myself to my thoughts, man, hey, it's just 
I'm headed down a slippery slope. But here he says, blessed is he who endures temptation. So there's a blessing for enduring temptation. And you know what? We're all tempted. I'm tempted. I, you know, I struggle. I pray, Lord, change me, help me, this mindset. But it says, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those who love him. Lord, I love you. I don't want to dishonor you. Change me, Lord. Help me to endure. You know, let my mind be on Scripture. Let me take the advice of Jesus. Memorize Scripture. I remember I used to keep a post-it on my window when I used to drive. And whenever I was tempted, I I would memorize that Scripture. I'd bring it to memory. You know, it was uh, 1 Corinthians 9.27. I discipline my body and I bring it under subjection. At least when I preach to others, I myself become disqualified. That was my memory verse. And so every time that temptation came, Lord... I would I would recite that I would memorize that and I would pray, Lord, change me. But it says, blessed is he who endures temptation. You will receive a crown of life. But here in verse 13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God or by God. For God himself cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So don't blame God. I have heard. I've counseled with people and he said, well, God made me this way. Don't blame God. See, it says here, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Your desires. You're enticed by your desires. And you know what? Desires change. I remember, you know, kind of bragging. I don't have. And I heard another pastor bragging just recently and I talked to him. Because I was bragging, you know, I don't have a problem with, I don't have a problem with women. You know, I have a problem with burgers. That's my problem. At that time, that was a problem. But your desires change. The enemy will use the right bait at the right time. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's spiritual pride. You think you're better than other people. Or any other, a proud look, you know, self You know, it it could be something that you're dealing with because each and every one of you are dealing with something. How do I know? Because if I'm going through something, you're going through something. And you know what? It it shows a lot of times we go through things so that we recognize that, hey, I need you, Lord. I need change. If I'm going through this, I pray for the God's people. I know they're going through it. We're going through the same things together. But it says each one is tempted and drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So your desires and enticements could be changed. We all have different drives. Here the Bible makes it clear you're tempted by your own desires and enticements. You see, the problem we are having in today, with today's society is everyone is giving in to their own desires and enticements. We definitely see it in the world. But this mindset is creeping slowly into the church. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says, and I agree to this quote. He says, the most dangerous thing you could do is to take any one impulse that you have or, or desire of your own nature and set it up as the thing you ought to follow at all costs. That's dangerous. 
You see, we're headed into a time like the days of the judges where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. That's dangerous. We're in a dangerous place. We're, we have a culture shift. You see, we're a, a, we used to be a theonomous culture. We're, headed in, we're, we're now in a heteronomous culture, but we're headed into an autonomous culture. And what uh, a theonomous culture is a culture that gets its influence and morals from God, from the Word of God. And that's where you know, the country was based upon a, the, uh, a, a theonomous culture where our laws were more reflected by godly principles. We're leaving, but as the political leaders have left the word of God and this world has pushed God aside, we see the late, the, the next culture rising up. It's what is called a heteronymous culture, a culture that gets its influence and morals and directions from its, from its elites. The elites are influencing the cultures and the morals. We're, we're seeing uh, social elites, the media, celebrities, and politicians influencing the culture. That's where we are. They're dictating what is right and wrong. No longer are we, go, are we a country that is saying we're morally influenced by God. We're now we're morally influenced by elites, media, social media, celebrities, and politicians. That is bad. But we're also headed into another form of culture, an autonomous culture, a society that exists and, and wants to embrace all kinds of morals or morals that are anything but that from God. In other words, anything goes. Whatever I feel like, that's what is right. Everyone is doing what is right in the eyes of of themselves. And we see this in culture throughout the Bible. And every culture that has done this has fallen. And we are bound to fall too. You see, people are now encouraged to give in to whatever, uh, whatever they want. It's no longer a temptation. It's just who you are. Give in to it is the mantra of the world. You see, we need to pray and ask the Lord to make us sensitive, church, to make us sensitive to conviction of the Holy Spirit and to continue to live in God's word and in his ways. If not, it will be a ruin to us individually and as a people. We see that giving into or playing with temptation to sin, it's like conception. Here it says, Sin leads to a progression. In verse 15 through 16, it says, When desire here, when desire has conceived, a desire of giving over to you in temptation is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full growth, it brings forth death. You see, it's going to mature. Your, your sin is going to mature. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25 talks about, you know, sin is, is just a passing pleasure. You see, it won't last and it will not satisfy you. You know, you might have a pursuit of your sin. It's going to be fun for the moment, but it won't last and it won't satisfy you. How do I know? I've been there. I've been there. There's nothing new under the sun. The psalmist prayed in, in Psalms 19, 133, Lord, direct my steps by your word and let not have dominion, let not 
Sin have dominion over me. Because sin will have dominion over you. You know, it lets, it'll let you have its way for a moment, but it will have dominion over you. Again, in Psalms 19, verse uh, 13, the psalmist prayed, Keep me back, keep back your service, servant from presumptuous sins. Sin of being arrogant. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. You see, sin will dominate you. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. You see, it's like a fisher going, a, a, a fisherman going out and catching fish. You know, some fishermen go and catch and catch and release. They catch the fish and they release them. You know, me, I do jujitsu. I've been doing it for five years. Been doing martial art over eight years, but jujitsu for five years. And a lot of the, the guys I roll with sometimes are white belts. And I play catch and release with them. In other words, I bring them to a point and I'll let them go. I bring them to a point where I got them and I'll let them go. I play catch and release. But just the other day, one of my teachers said, hey, I want you to submit them five times. You know, and I got him three times in, in six minutes. I submitted him three times in six minutes. Um, and I was really trying. You see, in your sin, you might play with it. They might play. He might. The enemy might be playing catch and release with you, but he's going to get you. He's going to dominate you and he's going to control you. That sin will become bondage. And you know what? It happens to me, too, man. The the old the the black belts, man, they, they, they had their way with me. And, you know, you see our enemy. We're no match for our enemy. And we keep playing with the enemy. We keep playing with sin. We're bound He's going to, they're going to, he's going to catch us, going to submit us. And we're going to feel a world of hurt. We're going to lose our families, our jobs, our self-respect, and we could lose our life. It's just a matter of time. Don't play with temptation. But you see the mindset of temptation. We see this here. The mindset is deceptive. Verse 16 says, James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. Your temptation will lie to you. It tells you, okay, no one's going to find out. It's not going to be that bad. You're going to enjoy it. Okay, you're going to enjoy it for a while. But it'll get you. Your temptation will lie to you. Verses 17 through 18. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So every good and perfect gift comes from above. You know, what, what has God given us? He's given us, number one, the new birth. He's given us a new nature. As we repented of our sins, we put our faith and trust in him. We're born again and God gives us a new nature. Number two, he's given us his perfect word. He's given us his perfect word. To guide us. His word to guide us. Number three, he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us. To live and to be a kind of first fruits. To glorify him. That's why he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 through 27. So then, he's given you these gifts. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with milk, uh, with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. There's that word again, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of, the liber- of liberty and continues in it is, and is not a forgetful he- hearer, but is a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he has done. So here he says, in light of the blessings, in light of these perfect gifts God has given to us. Then James says, in light of that, so then. And he says to the Christian, control your anger. Control yourself, my beloved brethren. He says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, your actions and attitudes sometimes do not glorify God. We need to check our actions and our attitude. This is addressed to Christians. He says, my beloved brethren, my beloved brethren. The world acts like that, but we shouldn't. But he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Get your anger under control. And a lot of times when I'm feeling that, you know, I'm praying, man. Sometimes I got to bite my tongue and I'll just, I'll just start praying under my breath. I'm praying, Lord, help me. I, I, I don't want to act, react by impulse. Lord, I don't want to say, because you know what? I could say stupid things sometimes when I just react. I could say the wrong things. How do I know? The Bible tells me and I'm looking in the perfect law and I, I see myself here. Sometimes I'm, I let anger control me. You know, but here he says, don't let anger control you. Anger turns to resentment and bitterness, bitterness, and you will lose out in what God has for you. We see this in the life of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 18. But here he also says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. There are things in your life that are filthy. He's saying, lay aside, take that off, lay it aside. And an overflow of, of wickedness. We need to take, examine our lives in light of the word. And he says, and receive with meekness. You humble yourself. Receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But here he says, be doers of the word. It's not enough to hear the word of God. We need to be doers of the word of God because if we're just listening to the word of God and we're not applying it, it says we're deceiving ourselves. It's like going to church and never, you know, we, a good uh, practice to do is after I hear a message, I need to pray, Lord, speak to me. Lord, if there is something in that study, I need you to change me. I need to think about the message before I leave or before I go to sleep. Why? Because God is speaking to me of some area of my life. I need to receive the implanted word. It's it's able to save my soul. But he says, "Be be here doers of the word and not just hearers only. Because if you're just a hearer and not a doer, you are deceiving yourself. Example, if anyone is a hearer of the word and he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror and then 
he goes away and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. That's why we need to examine ourselves in the light of Scripture. But in 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's where we should want to be. Look into the perfect word of God. Continue in the word of God. Don't be a forgetful hearer, but be a doer of the work, what God calls you to do. And it says this one will be blessed in what he does. That's where we want to be. Verse 26 through 27 as we close. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one rel- one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So if anyone thinks his, he is religious, religion doesn't cut it. But we need to bridle our tongue. Again, there's that word, but he, he deceives him, his own heart. His, this one's religious is, religion is useless. Again, a warning here about self-deception. We need to be careful when it comes to self-deception. God's ways are higher than our ways. We need to ask the Lord, teach me your ways. Help me to walk in your truth. But here it says to bridle our tongue. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 26. You know, he said to cleanse the inside. You see, at this time, they were self-righteous religious people. And he called them blind Pharisees. They were very religious. But inwardly, they were, they were filthy. And it could be with us. We could have religious activities. But if the inside is not cleansed by the word of God. That's, there's a problem in our heart. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the tr- evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever comes in, comes out. We need to let the Lord's word be in our mouth, and our hearts, so that when it comes out, it comes out something That's pure. But here he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows and their troubles. In other words, we should have good works. And we should be compassionate. We should help the most vulnerable in their trouble. Widows and orphans in their trouble. So we need to pray. Lord, help us to grow through trials. Number two, Lord, help us to become overcomers of temptation. Help us to be doers of the word that we would glorify you and have a heart like yours with compassion and ready to help others. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord, and we do thank you for this amazing chapter. And Father, we do pray, Lord, that you would do a work of your spirit, Lord. That you would cause us to grow into maturity, Lord. That the trials that we would face, Lord, that we would have the confidence that you are with us, Lord. That we would have the confidence that you're doing a work of your spirit in us, Lord. And we say, Lord, have your way. Father, cause us to grow in spiritual maturity. Help us to be 
the people that you desire us to be. Help us to be in the roles and responsibility that you want us to have. Help us to walk in your truth. Help us to overcome temptation. Let not sin have dominion over us, Lord. Father, may we endure temptation. And Father, may we be those who hear the word and do it, Lord. Father, do a supernatural work in our lives, Lord. Have your way, Father. Transform us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would glorify you. That that we would not succumb to our temptations. Father, that we would see the work of your spirit as you transform us and you cause us to grow in our faith through our trials, through the temptations, Lord, so that we would encourage others through their trials and point them to you, the great, uh, the word that would, that's able to save their souls. And Father, we do pray, Father, for the weak and vulnerable among us, Lord. And Father, that we would have a heart like yours, Father, so we ask that you would continually do a work of your spirit in each one of us, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live it according to your spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. All right. Well-